Hey everyone, coming to you from Real Talk with Ezra as one of his special guests on the next episode. Just a little trigger warning, some of the things that will be discussed revolve around September, which is also known as National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Um, Some of the things that are involved are things that are suicidal methods and or things that can be very triggering to past traumas. So just go into this with a clear mind and always remember there's a way out. What's going on, everybody? This, once again, is Ezra McNeil from Real Talk with Ezra. And today is a special episode because it's the end of September. And for those who don't know what September really is, this is the end of National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Um, Countless stories that you've probably heard in in person or on television, on the radio, wherever, about people sharing their experiences with suicide and how they overcome it. So today I have a few friends of mine who experienced it and would love to share their stories. So first of all, thank you guys for coming. Um, If you guys want to introduce yourselves. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm Jason Yerby. Um Six years clean from any self-harm, suicidal attempts, or attempted uh, suicidal thoughts. I'm Cameron Witherspoon. Okay. I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, I'm Jasmine Dabney, um, ironic social work major, and about, I would say... Five years, pretty much clean from any sort of action related to the topic. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a blessing that you guys are clean from from these these situations. So, I mean, let's get into it. So, for those who truly don't know the definition of suicide, according to Webster's, it's the act or an instance of taking one's own life voluntarily and intentionally. And some statistics that we have that are from Interim Incorporated, um, according to the CDC, suicide rates have increased by 30% since 1999. Each year, more than 41,000 individuals die by suicide, leaving behind their friends and family members to navigate the tragedy of their loss. Suicidal thoughts, much like mental health conditions, can affect anyone regardless of age, gender, or background. And in fact, suicide is often result, the result of an untreated mental health condition. So from reading that, it's, it seems like in a way that suicide could be like the easy way out of a situation. Is that how y'all feel? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I thought for me... It was a no-brainer at that point in time in my life. I just thought, you know, this is this this would end all the pain and all the hurt, basically, especially with, with what my family was going through at that time. With with um, you know, my mom didn't have a job or st- stuff like that. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, life. Life was hard at that time, and I really did think that suicide was, you know, the the way out. So, yeah. Um, I guess on the other hand of that, while I do see why people could see it as the easy way out, I guess through, like, experience and learning knowledge, with, that changed my perspective on it as far as it not being the easy way. I think 
just like you said, a lot of suicidal thoughts or suicidal intentions come from untreated mental health issues and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of the times it's not really a choice. And I feel like a lot of people that say that it's like a selfish thing don't really understand that at the moment it's what you're using to take your hurt away. So like the same as people who drink their pain away or who Mm -hmm. smoke their pain away, however you deal with your grief, although it may be negative at the moment for you, that's the only thing that helps you. And while there are other treatments, the light at the end of the tunnel doesn't seem that bright for you to find them. Right. So. I have the same thing. It was when I was contemplating. It wasn't that I wanted to kill myself. It was that I wanted to stop hurting. Right. And that was the only thing. Like, mental health wasn't something I talked about with my family at all. Mm-hmm. Everyone in my family, just like I do, repress everything and don't talk about things. And therapy for me, didn't seem like an option. Talking to people didn't seem like an option. I couldn't even express the things that I was feeling. I was just feeling a lot, and I didn't know how to actually verbalize it. Mm-hmm. And so then contemplating, being like, if I do this, then I'll be gone. Mm-hmm. In my mind, if I'm gone, everybody else will be okay, too. You know, it's funny that you said your family. We're all black here. And it seems like a, a constant issue in the community or in the black communities that with our families, if we're going through something, we have to become all right or become good regardless of what you're going through, no matter how big or small it is. Regardless, you just have to be good because that's what we're trained to to do. So how how do you guys feel on that of like our families? Because we all been through that. Like we've been hurt or say we fell and like Oh, get up. You'll be all right. Keep walking. No, I'm hurting. I just cut my leg. How? I, <laughs> I need help. So what do you guys feel on the black community not being as vocal about it as we should be? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, a lot of, not a lot of, you know, not a lot of... Uh, Black people, they, they speak up on the topic, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, you know, getting help for people who's dealing with any mental health issues or, you know, suicidal thoughts. <clears throat> because, you know, I think everybody's, you know, going through it, mm-hmm. you know, not just black people, but any, you know, any and everybody's going through it. So <clears throat> it's just. I I really don't know, you know, why it's not being spoken a lot. Why is it not being talked a lot about, you know, so. Right. Well, there's some actual facts that I found here. It's it's from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, um, and it's actually from the Office of Minority Health. And it says that with mental and behavioral health of African-Americans, that poverty level affects mental health status and African-Americans living below the poverty level as compared to those over twice the poverty level are twice as likely to report for psychological distress. In 2017, suicide was the second leading cause of death for African-Americans between the ages of 15 and 24. The death rate from suicide of African-American men was more than four times greater than for African-American women in 2017. However, the overall suicide rate for African-Americans is 60% lower than that of the non-Hispanic white population. African-American females 
grades 9 through 12 were 70% more likely to attempt suicide in 2017 as compared to non-Hispanic white females of the same age. And a report from the Surgeon General found that between 1980 and 1995, the suicide rate among African Americans ages 10 to 14 increased 233% as compared to 120% of non-Hispanic whites. So it seems the numbers skyrocketed. And it's unfortunate that in the community, we don't take it as serious as we really should. So it starts here having a conversation with you guys today. Um, so yeah. Actually, it's, I think the reason why most African-Americans, you know, go through it, I don't know if any of y'all can relate, but, you know, a lot of black people, we, go, we come through um, broken families, broken homes. Because, like, mm-hmm. me and my dad was, he was in and out, but mostly out. So <clears throat> with that, you know, it was just my mom. She was trying to raise, including me, all together, three boys. You know, I got a big brother and a little brother. So, you know, she tried to do it all by herself. You know, it got, <clears throat> it was hard, you know, because we had Section 8, you know, living mm-hmm. on food stamps and stuff like that. But once all that was gone, you know, at that point in time, we really didn't know what what else to do because my big brother he was just getting ready to graduate high school and he did have a child at that time so he was pretty much out already doing his own thing my little brother he was I wouldn't say out of control but he was just you know he didn't want anything to do with it so you know with me I was sticking by my mom the whole time but you know just watching her go through the pain and the hurt and you know not getting the amount of help that you know I thought she needed <clears throat> wasn't you know it really didn't it really didn't help a lot you know and we just still struggled at that time so I feel like another thing that in my like family everyone was is strong everyone's keep pushing and keep going there's no time right. to actually settle into your emotions and things because you got to keep going you got to keep making money you got to keep providing right and that's the same thing that I try to do myself, but I would succumb, for lack of better words, into my emotions and situations around me. And I'm also, I'm an empath, so whenever someone else is hurting, whenever somebody else is feeling strong emotions, I also take that on, too. Mm -hmm. So I would see myself as being weak because I couldn't keep going after something traumatic happened. I would have to rely on other people. When I would see my grandma and my mom constantly, and these times they were in... um, issue they were able to fix it fast for me it took longer Mm -hmm. i would have she they uh, my mom grew up during time where they were like very poor and then my grandma grew up time during segregation Mm -hmm. so there was no way for them to actually be able to deal with their emotions deal with the things around them they all everybody in my family has trauma and no one i think besides me and my cousins in my generation are actually the people who are like facing the effects of it and the way that they raised us but also now trying to fix it Mm. Um, yeah, family is definitely a really big aspect in that. And then also, I guess, like the black community as a whole, um, similar to Jason's, but on the completely like different end of the spectrum, my dad was there for the first part of my life, but around, I think I was 11. Yeah, I was 11, about to turn 12. Um, my dad passed away very suddenly. Mm. Um, and before that, my parents worked at the same place. They had both got laid off at the same time. Wow. So um, 
we had just added on to the house. I had one brother at Virginia State University and one brother at Virginia Tech University at the time. So just added on to a house, two kids in college, both parents get laid off. And then about under half a year, one of the parents passes away. Um, that led to a lot of struggle uh, because it was just a very sudden thing. Like he got sick on a Wednesday, passed away on a Friday. So it was like, there was no closure whatsoever around the situation. And then also, um, at the time, like I had to see my brother struggle and my mom struggle. And my mom's main thing was pretty much kind of like you said, like the hustle, like you always got to keep it moving. My mom was like, I don't want you guys to get jobs in college. Like to my brothers, she was like, I'm going to handle it. I'll do what I got to do. I think she was working like two, three jobs <clears throat> at one point, mm -hmm. like grinding it out. And so it always looked to me that it was never any room to express emotion. It was just, okay, it happened. We're going to find a way to make sure it doesn't happen again or that we don't end up in this same predicament. And it's just kind of like, um, I remember, like, I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with anybody in your family getting laid off. My mom got a stipend package from the company. Was not that much money. And when she went to go see about benefits, they told her we couldn't get them because her stipend package was too, too much. much. Wow. And so we were like trying to survive off of like bare minimum and two kids in college, no job in the middle of the country. <clears throat> and so it was just like really bad. And that's where a lot of like my stuff stemmed up. But at the same time, I never spoke up because I saw how hard she worked. And then also like, it's really bad. And it's kind of funny now, like my knowledge of how much funerals cost <laughs> was like a really big thing for me to never like fully tip over the edge of that wow. ledge. Like it was just like, it's expensive. And I don't think I could actually mentally know that I put my mom through that wow. again. <clears throat> yeah. With, with my mom, she, my mom saw, she, she saw it coming that she was getting ready to get laid off. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, cause I would eavesdrop on her conversations with her. And her best friend was like, you know, she's like, oh, I'm next one out the door and stuff like that. You know, when she finally told us, and I was just like, okay, where's the money coming from? You know, what's what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> and at that time, you know, being a 15-year-old, 15, 16-year-old, 15, you know, and at that time, I think I was probably having the most fun because I was in high school. At that time, I was getting recruited, playing football. You know, I went to these camps and I had college coaches you know, keep in contact with me. But after, during that season, <clears throat> my mom <clears throat> my mom lost her apartment that we were all living in. So we had to go move, you know, back to the country, basically, with my grandma. And um, she, uh, she literally took the liberty of driving an hour and some change almost every day to take me and my little brother to school. And then while we were in school, she would... Uh, she she basically would sit at Barnes and Noble or whatever the closest library was so she can go ahead and find a job. Mm -hmm. And she tried really hard to find a job, you know. There's times where <clears throat> I got in the car after she picked me up from football practice and, you know, I was like, Do you find a job yet? And she was like, No, not yet, but I'm still trying, I'm still looking you know, and then at that time I was just like, All right, you know, she's gonna find something and stuff like that but, you know, it it took her, you know, Two, two, three years till she actually found a job wow. and stuff like that. But at that time, it did take a you know a toll on me because I started missing practice and you know at that time you know playing all you know playing linemen in football you know we're supposed to be 
you know, the big boys and stuff like that, I was losing weight because I didn't eat. Mm. Because not only because I didn't have an appetite, but we didn't have anything to eat. Right. So <clears throat> they know some of my teammates and the coaches, they noticed something was wrong, but nobody, I never spoke up about it. I just kind of hid behind, you know, hid behind a mask. And I was like, all right, I'm here, <laughs> you know, and I'm just working out and stuff like that. It was like I'll come to practice one week, the next week I missed the whole practice. And, you know, that's why, you know, probably lost the starting spot and then, you know, going down to the death chart and it's mm-hmm. like, all right, now the recruiters are gone and it's like, okay, you know, where to go go to from here. Right. She didn't want me to get a job because I was going to get a, you know, I was applying to places. She was like, no, not yet. Not, right. It's not not that time. Mm-hmm. Now, so, yeah. I understand that. Well, well besides that, <clears throat> or speaking about our families, let's, Let's get into, you know, uh, the personal stories. Um, I know you guys, everybody has a has a story. You said your story yeah. um, the other week, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it it really, you know, holds a special place in my heart, especially for a black man to, you know, be brave enough to say their story. Not a lot of people, of, of black men really tell it's their the, stories. It's so. the pride, man. It's, it's, Absolutely, it's, I agree. It's the pride because, you know... Being a guy at that, nobody would think that, you know, that a guy of my size would come up there and say something in front of everyone. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it's like, but at, to me, it's like you got to put your pride to the side for a little bit mm-hmm. and you need to talk about what's important. And at that time, I just, you know, not only just, you know, to prevent suicide, but it's like, look. This is what I've been through. Yeah. And I'm just like out there looking at people's faces and stuff like that. I'm just like, some of y'all probably been through what I've been through, but some of y'all don't want to talk about it. And it's okay. If you don't want to talk about it, it's all right. right. But, <clears throat> you know, it took me till maybe, I think, freshman year, no, sophomore year of college till, you know, I, you know, told some of my friends, like, look, this is what, this is what happened during my lifetime. Mm-hmm. This is, you know. This is why the way I am now, you know. And, again, I couldn't be here without God. Couldn't be here without, you know, the support, especially from my mom. But, you know, that day, you know, it's like, you know, again, being a guy, you know, you got to put it to the side for a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. because to me, I was strong that day. You know, Mm -hmm. some guys would, you know, wouldn't want to talk about that stuff. But, I mean, again, it's okay. But at the same time, it's a serious issue to talk about because it's getting – crazy on how you see one friend a couple of days ago smiling and laughing Happy. yeah next day that's it they're gone it's like what happened right but it's you know that's why i always say you, know, you gotta check up on your friends because you never know what could be going on with them you know that's what I mean? so, true so from for those that wasn't there at the the suicide prevention walk could you you know share your story for those who who are listening all right well <clears throat> I was probably a yeah, sophomore in high school. You know, my mom, she got laid off from her job, and then, you know, money was tight. It was getting real tight. She lost her apartment, you know, at that point, you know, couldn't get any more food stamps. Mm-hmm. So that was out the picture, too. And being at that young of an age, you know, people just, like it said, the stats say that, you know, anybody could be depressed, but... You know, at that time, mental health, it really t- took a toll on my life, you know, playing football and everything. At first, you know, when I was starting to get depressed and, you know, having these suicidal thoughts, I started abusing painkillers. 
prescribed and, you know, whether it's Tylenol or, you know, stuff like that. Because I was playing football and I was dealing with a lot of injuries, not just, you know, head injuries, but I was, you know, muscle aches and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, and I started using, you know, strictly for that, just injuries. But then it got to the point where, you know, I was just like, I need it. You know, I started abusing a whole lot of painkillers. You know, I remember one game, my teammate asked me, you know, do you need ibuprofen? I was like, yeah. He was like, how many you need? Three? I said, give me seven. It's like, seven? I was like, yeah, the most I ever took was ten in one game. Wow. <clears throat> At one time, too. And to this day, I don't know how I did, how I made it out of that moment because that, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. But when... We moved away. Again, I didn't have a lot of stuff. I didn't have a lot of clothes. Like I said, I probably had maybe two pair of jeans, three pair of shirts, three shirts, uh, probably a pair of sweatpants and a pair of shorts that I mixed up every every day mm-hmm. at school. You know, some people noticed I got bullied for it and stuff like that, but, you know, at the same time, nobody knew what I was going through. You know, being that young of age, I'm over here depressed and thinking about suicide and stuff like that. And again, I remember it was a Tuesday. I didn't mention this part at the walk, but um, it was a Tuesday. I remember because the night before was Monday Night Football, and the Redskins played the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And my coach is a diehard Redskins fan. Usually after every game, I would go over to his room. and, I would, and he's, He was a teacher, too. I would go over to his room, and we would talk trash and stuff like that. And I went over there that day, and... He was like, dog, he already knew what I was getting ready to talk about. He was like, oh, don't come over here talking that mess and stuff like that. I was like, coach, I need your help. And it's, it's really bad because um, I'm really going through some things. And if I don't get the help I need now, you're not going to see me tomorrow. What's wrong, son? Are you are you sick? Or, you know, do you, what's, what's happening? I was like, no, coach, I'm not sick. Well, I'm sick, but again, if, if I don't get the help that I need now, you're not going to see me. Not just tomorrow, but ever, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know. And again, I woke up that morning with you know high expectations that I was getting ready to kill myself as soon as I came home. Like, wow, it was in the back of my mind. I was like, literally, literally, and <clears throat> it was like something that I was getting prepared for. Like, and it kept replaying in the back of my mind every hour of the day. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to commit suicide. As soon as I get home, it's going to be done. It's going to be over with. <clears throat> and, again, that was just me in the back of my mind. But at the same, you know, going throughout the day, I shared a couple of laughs with a couple of people. But, you know, just a spirit told me, you know, to go tell my coach. And it was just like, you know, he he was like, okay, we're going to get, we're going to get you help. We're going to get you help. So I went to my next class, and in the middle of taking the test, he came into the classroom, and he was like, I need to take him right now. Mm. I need to because this is serious. So I went to the guidance counselor's office, and then there was a police officer and the assistant principal that I was really close with, that was really close with me and my big brother at the time. And, um, you know, the counselor's like, what's going on? You know, so, and, I, and I gave her, I gave her a rundown of what was going on as far as, you know, what was happening at home and stuff like that. And, you know, I was just like, she's like, have you had any suicidal thoughts? Have you attempted suicide? I was like, well, I abused painkillers. And, you know, I was like, honestly, if I didn't say anything to coach today that I was going to go home, I was going to kill myself. 
And she asked me where my mother was. At, again, at the time, my mother was out looking for a job, you know, stuff like that. And he's like, is there any way you can keep in contact with your mother? I was like, yeah, I can call her up. So, you know, I called her. She came in there. She, you know, she thought I was in trouble. She was, you know, the guidance counselor sat her down. I was like, Jason, is there anything you want to tell your mom? I was like, mom, I've been really depressed. You know, I've been watching you. You 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 work really hard to find a job, but I don't know if I could keep taking it. And I just thought that suicide was, you know, going to be the less of your burden. So, you know, I told her that I was, you know, that when she picked me if, that when she picked me up that day, I was going to go home and kill myself. And then they had told her, you know, do you want to tell her how you was going to do it? And I was like, yeah, I was going to hang myself. And, you know, then she she broke down. She was crying, you know, and everything and stuff like that. <clears throat> but, you know, after all that, I started seeing, you know, therapists. And I spent a whole month at a home. Forgot the name of the hospital, but it was. I went to school Monday through Friday, played the game, played in the game on Friday. Saturday came, we had Saturday film in the morning. Then after that, I would go to this hospital and I would spend the rest of Friday, rest of Saturday there, the whole day Sunday. My mom would pick me up Monday morning and I'd go to school, mm-hmm. and that was it. <clears throat> you know. And I have been taking, you know, I've taken antidepressants before, you know, literally, like, they will literally have you walking around here like a zombie, like, mm-hmm. no emotion, like, the 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 slightest thing, like, anything could happen, and I would literally just stand there just with a blank face, like, well, I mean, what could I do? <laughs> but through it all, you know, after, you know, we moved away and stuff like that, you know, this is the lighter side of things. At that time, you know, living with my grandma for those first couple of months we was living with her, it was hard. That time it was hard because, you know, you know, it was hard trying to share a can of ravi a big can of ravioli between five people. It was hard. Wow. And then sometimes it's like, I ain't wanna eat. You know, that didn't my mom, she she stopped smoking and stuff like that. You know, I transferred schools and stuff, you know, then you know, couple months down the line, she, you know, she pulled, you know, she called me and my little brother into a room. She was like, hey, I got a job now. I was like, oh, you know, that's good and everything. So, you know, she finally got a job, making minimum wage and stuff like that. She worked at a front desk of the of this hotel. <clears throat> then a year passed, you know, we started, you know, slowly but surely, you know, getting like things that we needed. You know, she was back on food stamps and stuff like that. And then, like, a year passed. She was like, you know, do y'all have any clothes y'all need to throw away? I was like, Mom, I don't have any clothes at all. <laughs> <laughs> but she was like, well, that next, t- tomorrow we're going shopping because I work full-time now. I can get y'all a full wardrobe. I was like, great. <laughs> I kid you not, I went so much straight room. I started crying because I was like, this, I went through all of this. And then, you know, here's this moment, you know. Graduating from high school, you know, then be able to come to college, and then now here I am, and it's you know, it was it was a very hard time, it re- it really was, and you know, I don't even wish this on my worst enemies to go through these hard time, that hard time, but you know, and I thank God, I would I would say that I saved my own life, you know, you've never been so proud of failure, like I've never been so proud that I failed to to commit suicide, mm-hmm, right. so. 
that that time it was it was it was really it was really hard but you know I got through it you know me and my mom we we got through it she's she still works full time you know she still I mean all three of her sons are out we're all out doing our own thing she's pretty much you know doing her own little thing now I ask her for money every now and then but <laughs> you know we're all good you know life is hard but you got to keep going that's that's the that's the thing so, well, thank you for your story. Thank you for your strength and your bravery, yeah. bro. Seriously. Um, what about you, Jess? If you wanna. Um. So pretty much, I guess, going back into like what I had said earlier, a lot of my, a lot of my big issues started, um, dealing with my first loss. There were issues before that, but um. I guess they were just like regular kid issues. Like I was the youngest, I was the only girl. So a lot of that, like a lot of my issues before that were just blamed on that. Or I guess what you would call like the spoiled mentality. Like that's what people just thought it was. But um, after my first initial loss, I was out of school for about, I would say a week or so. And I know there was like an event going on that Wednesday. Um, I feel like it was like a karaoke night or something like uh, SGA karaoke night. I was in elementary school. And so my mom was like, do you want to go? And I know I hadn't seen my friends and stuff. And so I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll go. I probably won't say the whole time. And so I go to the little karaoke night and I get there and like everybody just runs up to me and like swarms me. And it was a little overwhelming, but at the same time, it was like, very comforting to not have to ask for a hug like it was like sometimes you don't want to be touched but in that moment it was like I didn't until it happened and I was like okay maybe this is like what I needed so like the whole mood of the karaoke night kind of shifted and there was this one girl and like till this day like I like a lot of people always tell me the way I handled this was weird or whatever but um this girl comes up to me and she pretty much was just like, your dad didn't really die. Like you're just doing it for attention. Like you don't really have friends. And so you just want to be cool or whatever. And I literally just looked at her and I was like, it's okay. Maybe one day you'll understand. And I meant that in no sort of vindictive way or anything. It was Mm -hmm. just like a like at the age of 11 losing a parent I feel like I went from like 11 to like 31 in like a second Mm -hmm. like my whole mindset changed and everything and so it was just like people hear that and they're like I would have fought her I would have beat her up I would have done this I would have done that and I was just like at that time I was already fighting my own internal Mm -hmm. battle Mm -hmm. that I didn't have time to waste on trying to fight her right and so I remember a lot of my issues did come from that moment. Like, um, I went back to school. My teachers were, like, terrible. A couple of them were, like, uh, I took more than the needed days that they thought were necessary. So I didn't get a lot of my work to make up. And so it was just, like, a lot happened. And I was in, like, sixth grade at the time. And, of course, the stuff was still going on at home. Um... And then, like, summer came, and I was like, okay, maybe this will be, like, a break. I'll have time to recuperate. And one of the girls in my grade who I wasn't, like, super close with, but we had been in school together since, like, pre-K, and we knew each other very well and had a lot of the same interests, passed away from skin cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm. 
And so that was like another major hit. And we go back to school, so like seventh grade now or whatever. And like I was a completely different person, like wasn't talkative, wasn't really active in anything, like just stopped doing things. My grades got super low. Um, and it was like people noticed, but people didn't want to say anything because they were like, oh, she's just grieving. And, of course, again, with the black community, you don't ever really say anything. Um, and so it got to the point of where, like, I felt super isolated. And my best friend at the time, who pretty much is still my best friend, is my big brother, who was at Virginia Tech. And that's, like, four hours away. And you can't always just call somebody in college off of women and expect them to answer. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember the first time I had a run-in with um, self-harm, I was... Still in seventh grade, it was either like right, I think it was right after Thanksgiving or right after like the New Year's holiday. And my brother had left to go back to school. And I remember I was like in the bathroom. I was like really hurt. And um, I'm trying to remember exactly how it played out. I'm pretty sure, okay, so I was in the bathroom. I was like super upset. And I remember that was the first time I ever, like, cut. And for people who don't understand, like, the terminology, it is what it is. Like, I literally had scissors and was, like, slicing my arm. Like, was Mm. over it. And, of course, there's, like, the rule of thumb when it comes to stuff like this is sideways for attention, up and down for results. And that's literally what people say. And, of course, like, at the time, I didn't want to kill myself. But it was more so like a numbing effect. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever had like that rush of adrenaline, mm. like from anything. So like, it could be like the big game and you tackle somebody and you get like this really big rush or it could be like something happens. Like and a roller coaster ride yeah, or something like that. Yeah. It's like a very like big intense rush and that's what it felt like. And um, of course, like blood has that really warm feeling. And so literally like, sorry for anybody who's been through it if that's like a really bad trigger warning. Um, but that's really what it was. Like, it was like that feeling and that numbness. And I remember like, I guess my mom heard me crying and came in my room and I had to like play it off. And, um, like she saw blood and she asked what happened. And at the time, like they were all on the like inside of my arm. So it was easy to hide. And I told her like, I cut my leg shaving or something. Cause you know, at that time, like you're just going through puberty, you're still learning. Right. So I was like, yeah, I cut my leg. Um, I'm good or whatever. And she was like, why were you crying? And I can't lie to my mom about anything. So, like, I looked at her, my eyes welled up, and she was just like, what's wrong? And the first thing I said was, I miss dad. And my brother's name is Ted. Mm -hmm. So she was like, he just left. Why do you miss him? Like, he'll be fine. (laughs) And I was like, no, dad, as in, like, your husband. And she just, like, broke down. And I forgot, and I hugged her. And my arm was like, yeah. And she didn't notice off back until like the next day. And she asked me about it. And it was just like so odd to have to like explain that to the person who is the strongest person in your family, the strongest person you know, like the superhero of your life type of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember like at the time, everybody was very in denial about it. And uh, being... The fact, like, the fact that I was a big kid, it was pretty easy for me to hide because 
we don't like our arms a lot of the time, so I just wore long sleeves, and people thought it was like normal. Same, <laughs> same. Like, oh my gosh. People dude. thought it was so normal because I was just like, yeah, it's 90 degrees outside, but my arm jiggles, so I'm fine. <laughs> and so, like, nobody ever really noticed it or anything until I think I was in eighth grade by this time, and I got picked to do marching band early. Um, and so we were changing. And of course, if you've ever been in band, it's a very free and open space. Like nobody cares. And so we were changing on the bus. And I remember one of the guys in my section saw it. And normally people will put you on blast for stuff like that. But I guess he made like a mental note of it and pulled me to the side like the next day and was just kind of like, I saw it. Like you can't deny it. I know mm -hmm. it's there. Like if you need to talk, let me know type of thing. And of course, I was very in denial still. Like I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I fell. It's a scratch. It's nothing serious. And he was like, "Trust me, I know." And he showed me his arm, mm -hmm. and he had been through the same thing. Um, his were pretty healed at the time, and so it was kind of nice to see somebody who had been through like the same thing. Um, I went to school in a very predominantly white community, so it was always like the help was there, but it was always hard to go get it because, mm -hmm. like we said, it is very stigmatized in the black community to have an issue, right. no matter what you've been through. And I do have to say, like you said earlier, I don't even want to begin to like fathom what any of this would have been like from a male's perspective. Right. Because while black females have the stigmatism of we always have to be strong, I feel like for black men it is so much harder to be vulnerable with your emotions. Or like one of my teachers, he's in the military, and he tells us all the time, he's like he has to get out of the habit of doing it, but his son will fall, and the first thing he'll do is he'll jump up and he'll look at his dad. And if his dad doesn't react to him getting hurt or falling, he'll brush it off and keep it moving. Mm. But he can see like the tears in his eyes, like he wants to cry, he's hurt, mm. but he's like, you're strong, I'm gonna be strong. And it's like, I feel like it's so ingrained in us that no matter what we've been through, we have to be strong about it, or our ancestors have been through worse, so why can't we take this? But I'm like, no, after a while, it, it builds touched, up, yeah. and right. it takes a toll, and of course, none of this is healthy, and looking back on it, it was very foolish. But at the time, it was like, what's going to fix my issue that isn't going to lead to me like being in jail or like giving pieces of myself away to other people? Mm -hmm. What was something that I could do for myself to like help my issue, but not to cause people around me harm? Even though, I mean, yeah, it's going to hurt them, but it's not taking money from their pocket or it's not like if they don't notice it, then they're not hurt. And of course, like you said, if you keep a smile on your face, nobody's going to question it. Yeah. We all have our sad days, but if you mope around forever, yeah, people are going to question it. But normally your depressed friends are the funny ones. They're the happiest ones. They're the ones who are making all A's or in every club possibly known to man. Like they're always the ones who are finding ways to make themselves busy to not think about what's really going on. Right. So... Okay. So, in eighth grade, I had, like, issues like bullying and sexual assault when I was younger and mm -hmm. a lot of childhood trauma that 
I guess, bubbled over, circulated when I was in eighth grade, and I was depressed for a year and a half. And no one talked to me about what depression was, so I didn't know I was depressed. I knew I was just sad, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want... And then my sadness started carrying over to my mom, and there'd be random days where I would just fall into a depressive episode, and she'd be like, why are you so tired? Are you pregnant? All the time. She would ask me, are you pregnant? What? What's going on? She couldn't... Just being depressed or being sad just was not a topic on her mind. She would, like, ask questions like that. She'd be like, oh, it's just something going on in school. Like, but also she was working. She was trying to get her master's Mm -hmm. and trying to take care of me all the time. And then also she had just had her best friend pass away within this year frame of me being eighth grade. So she already had a bunch of stuff going on. And then on top of me being depressed... I didn't want to make her feel worse than she already was. Mm-hmm. And me, everybody in my family, very religious. So it was a demon that was in me. Mm. Literally came in my room, started almost basically like an exorcism on me. And I don't fault her for that because that's the only thing she knew how to do. No one had ever even, no one in my family as far as I know of, had ever even seen a counselor mm-hmm. that wasn't about something that was easy to fix and the first time ever like I've never thought about killing myself I always thought about running away Mm -hmm. I would pack my bags unpack pack unpack come up with place like ways that I could leave and then I'd be like I can't go to this place because then they're gonna tell her I can't go to this person's house because then they're gonna be like you gotta go back and it's like I can't go back and I just wanted I thought that me being gone from everybody's lives would help and I'm an empath, so if I can help somebody else, no matter at my expense, then I'm going to be okay eventually. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend in seventh grade who would cut herself, and I was like, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it until I thought about doing it myself. And I was looking at the bathroom. I had to stay in my bed or else I'm an all-or-nothing kind of person. So if I were to cut myself, it would have been for results, not just for relief. Mm. It would have been my intent to actually rid of myself. But I also have a very strong fear of death. So... Going back and forth and vacillating the whole day I was in my bed. If I knew it had left, then something would have happened. Right. But I stayed in bed the entire day. And I was just thinking about if I just, like, crack the mirror and do it. If I go to my mom's room and find a razor, I can do it. If I took the scissors that were on my desk, I could do it. And thankfully I didn't. But also, I... And my depression didn't just, like, leave. It, like, depression comes on and off also with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, I, in junior year, my anxiety got so bad that I would have panic attacks daily during classes. I would have to just run out. And, like, it would be a joke that's like, oh, pay my college tuition. Like, let me jump in front of cars. I literally wanted two people to actually run me over. Wow. I would be walking from my car, going from the main building, and I would think if I just step out right now, it would be okay. Even if it does go to the point where I'm like, I would get the more hurt I could be, the more money I could get, the less pressure that would be put on me and my family. Mm. So I, everything I did was a mindset to help others, even though I was suffering. And I'm still going through that right now. Mm. My mental health journey is nowhere near, con- like nowhere near concluded. Right. I'm nowhere near okay. And not saying that they're like times where I do like want to commit suicide but I just like want the pain to stop mm-hmm. the biggest misconception that people are like oh you like taking the easy way out doing all this stuff no you just want to stop hurting right. 
Right. Hurting constantly sucks. Mm. Yeah. That's what <clears throat> that's what um especially when I get on social media. Social media nowadays, you know, I seen, you know, a couple weeks ago everybody was hashtagging suicide, you know, awareness, you know, month. And, you know, some people I seen somebody, you know, put on Twitter, you know, oh, they're doing it for cloud and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know, at the time you don't want to black out on them, but you just want to, the saying goes, walk a mile in my shoes. Mm-hmm. You would, you would understand because <clears throat> again, this is mental health is like a virus that spreads throughout a jungle, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's cancerous. Like it, it just, it, and it's any mental health, it'd be depression, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, you know, and I, cause I've met people that are like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've met people that are schizophrenic. I've met people that's bipolar, you know, or, you know, anything. <clears throat> and, you know, all, you know, any mental health, you know, all these mental health illnesses and stuff like that, you know, everyone, you know, the easy way out of it is through suicide. That's the only, you know, that's the only way, you know, some people know, you know, even, I even, even cutting yourself on your arms could, could, you know, that could commit suicide right there because you cut the wrong vein. That's it. <clears throat> so, you know, I never, you know, I can, I can't relate to y'all about, you know, cutting yourselves, but, you know, cause with me, it was again, abusing painkillers because my body would go numb, especially during, you know, in a football game, <clears throat> when you're, con- you're consistently hitting somebody you wouldn't feel it. Like my like my body would feel so the adrenaline was already pumping. You know, I'm already <laughs> I would say I used to say I was doped up on painkillers. You know, so it was like I couldn't feel a thing. I'm already, you know, it's like, all right, I'm ready. But at the same time, you know, again, it became from using it for injuries to straight abuse because I wanted that pain to go away and you know. The name speaks for itself. What does a painkiller do? It kills the pain. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always do that because that pain is going to come back. And at that time with, you know, dealing with mental health and stuff like that, you know, the pain was not going away. Exactly. You know, and, and, huh? I'm saying with me, also another thing I did was starve myself. Yeah. Mm. I would tell myself I didn't deserve to eat. I was seeing, and then I was seeing the results of starving myself and then people also congratulating me on that and so I didn't want Hmm. that attention to be taken away because I was hurting and so any little bit of validation was something that made me keep going there'd be times in my mom like come down for dinner I'm like no I'm not I'm good I'm not hungry or if I were out with my friends I would be the last person to order and then I just like wouldn't order anything I didn't eat and I would just be drinking water all the time and I would just kept telling myself you don't deserve to feel the satisfaction that is being full. I told myself I didn't deserve a lot of things mm-hmm. at that time. Wow. Yeah, um, similar to that, uh, I went through like a spell of that, but um, definitely, and again, like they say, a lot of us use humor to cope with my things and I'm one of those people. So like definitely, no, I had to eat, like that starving stuff was not for me. I couldn't get with it. Like I could not get jiggy with that at all. Yeah, um, I, it was me. I was bulimic. Like mm. I made myself throw up. You know, wow. two fingers, and it just got to the point where it was just straight acid. Wow. <laughs> I should take laxatives. Yeah, <clears throat> but that that was me. That was my you know, 
I wasn't bulimic, but at the same time, I still didn't eat, so I didn't have any energy at all. Mm -hmm. So, because again, you know, being that, you know, not only because I wasn't purposely starving, but I had no choice but to starve Mm -hmm. because we didn't have a lot to eat. But even going to school, you know, or being in a hospital where they give you food and stuff like that, I still didn't want to eat it, you know, because I was just like, I'm okay, you know, I, I really don't need this at the moment, so <clears throat> I, that, that was hard, you know what I mean, it's, it was just, it it, played, it t- took a toll on, on my body, so, yeah, it was just, it was bad, you know what I mean, it was, it was really just terrible, you know what I mean? Yeah, so from, from all the stories that were shared today, um, everybody, I guess, had sort of different warning signs for, you know, what they were going through. So let's talk about some some of the warning signs that if we see somebody, you know, doing these things, maybe if we see it, we could help them out in a way. Um, so if, of course, going back from the CDC, so when knowing the warning signs, you can see that there, it could be threats or comments about killing themselves, also known as suicidal ideation, that can be, uh, again, with seemingly harmless thoughts like, I wish I wasn't here, um, but it can become more overt and dangerous. Uh, an increase in alcohol and drug use, aggressive behavior, social withdrawal from friends and family in the community, as well as dramatic mood swings, talking and writing or thinking um, about death, and as well as impulsive or reckless behavior. So I guess one thing is that I always hear and, you know, always do myself is you got to check on your friends. And regardless if they say they're good, this you see something in them that is not, that's not usual. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you have to, I know me, like for certain friends, even people check on me sometimes, like, uh, although I've never been through a, a experience like that, um, everybody has that down day. But when I'm down, I'm down. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be in. I just want to be in my room. Nobody talk to me. I don't care. But it's like people have to press me to get me to say something. Although I'm a, I'm an extrovert, I'm, I'm an introvert as well. Um, so you have to check on your friends. Um, and a few things that, you know, let's, that we could talk about before we, you know, go to our classes and stuff is what are ways, you know, that we help those you know who have gone through your situations or how do we encourage people to to understand that life is the way to go um going back to the warning signs part of that i would also say be very aware of your own patterns in life and then also i guess the people around you that you love and care for and stuff um Doing things to cope with suicide don't always manifest themselves in the form of self-harm. And a lot of people fail to realize that a lot of suicidal people, like I said, could be the ones with the smiles on their faces. Um, Sometimes a harmless joke could be a cry for help Mm. or that friend who's always like trying to get their fix with whatever preferred drug or method of getting lit that they're, you know, prone to, that could be a cry for help. 
that friend who's always on the look for somebody to complete them or somebody to make them feel better about themselves could be a cry for help. So just little things like that. Of course, don't go overboard, but those momentary check-ins do mean a lot to people. And also don't get offended if you check in on them and they don't respond right away or even within like a couple days. They do care. They are very happy that you checked in on them. I know for myself personally, if I'm in one of my like little funks, it's gonna take me a couple days to respond. But when I get the message, it definitely does help. And it makes me think about why I'm here or why I'm still here. Um, and then the next part you said was like ways to- Encourage. Okay, so um, one thing I would say is no matter how bad things get, you never know how good they can get unless you wait around to see. Um, that's been a big thing for me is um, dealing with multiple losses. Is like It seems like there's like a never-ending trend, but at the same time, it's like I came to school for social work because of my losses. So honestly, kind of like how you were saying, sometimes you hurt, but you want the best for other people. And that's kind of how I feel now. It's like what I've been through, I want to use to help other people. So there's always a positive spin you can put on what you've been through for those of us that have had to deal with welfare things. Like that's one thing I want to be able to help change or for the black community having such a stigma, like a big like negative thought about mental health. I want to change that or for boys not to be as vulnerable and emotional as they want to be. I want to be able to change stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. just making an impact so that way at least one person could have a different experience than what I had. And also for the kids that are gonna listen to this, I know a lot of people from state are gonna hear this and stuff. Always remember that college is hard. Like college is not an easy experience. Some people, this is your first time being away from home. Um, you've made friends throughout your time here. You've lost friends throughout your time here. But always remember at the end of the day, you still have yourself and to hold on to that. And that should be the big, like one of the biggest things you value here is finding yourself and holding on to that because at the end of the day, you don't wanna be waiting for someone to text you because you made a joke earlier. Like you do wanna have your friends support you, but you don't want that to be like, a, if I don't get a text by 9.50, I'm gonna do this type of feeling. That feeling hurts, it's never good. And a lot of the times you say it and then you don't, and then you think about that forever and that weighs more on you than actually trying to commit suicide or doing an act. So find who you are, stick to who you are, be true to who you are, and find what makes you happy. There are plenty of outlets on campus, Memorial Hall. We have peer health educators. I myself, I'm one of them. If you ever need to talk, I'm here. I've been through it. I always say just because you have a degree doesn't make you an expert in something, but real life experiences do. Right. So anytime you need to talk, I'm pretty sure the three of us on here would be willing to help however we can. We mm -hmm. may be going through something that day, we'll get back to you, <laughs> but we definitely are very helpful people. Yeah, um, <clears throat> as far as like the warning signs and stuff like that, you know, it's it's really hard, especially somebody who's, you know, who's mentally sick. You know, it's, it's really hard because again, you could be smiling at one point, but they don't know what's going on, you know, in the inside. But, you know, with me, I check up on my friends, you know, I check up on my friends when I get the time because, you know, now I'm 
you know, working and stuff like that, I'd be really exhausted. But, <laughs> but I mean, because I, I, I do, you know, I like to do check-ins on my friends. You know, I don't go overboard with it. But, you know, if, if I notice something, I'll just be like, are, are you good? You okay? You straight? You know, because it's not, you know... I'm just I'm just making sure everyone's alright because you know you don't want nobody to go down the same path that you know that that you've been down you know and again and I speak and I, I speak for the guys you know like I said you know you got to put your pride to the side for a moment because again this is a serious it's it's a serious issue you know suicide you know attempted suicide you know suicide thoughts is a serious issue you know for you know anybody you know I've seen you know just because you know you're probably you know. One of you know one of those guys that you know just oh, I'm gonna be good I'm gonna be straight and stuff mm-hmm. like that you you never know what you're going through I mean there's yeah. you know there's a number of you know football players you know just you know just came from the you know the NFL that's committed suicide because of their mental health and stuff like that mm-hmm. so you know I speak for the guys you know just you know if if you have a problem don't be scared to speak up you know that not just for the guys but for anybody you know if you if you need somebody to talk to, you know, go to, you know, that, that guiding light, that, that one listening ear. I still talk to my coach to this day. You know, I'm 21 and, you know, and we've, I've been tight with him ever since I was like 14 when I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I still talk to my coach to this day. And I, and I would never, ever, you know, forget, you know, the things that he's done for me because he has gotten me the help. And, you know, even at, you know the day after I told him what was going on and stuff like that, you know he took me shopping. He took me clothes shopping. He bought me two new pair of shoes, couple pair of pants, couple pair of shirts. You know, <clears throat> yeah, it's don't you know again just don't be you know don't be scared to speak up. You know because again it's, it's a serious issue. You know as far as like encouragement, you know yeah, check on your friends. You know because again you know. You, it's it, it could go a long way. Just just a simple text say, Hey, how you doing? you know mm-hmm. or just you know, just talking to somebody. It's 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 really, you know, uplifting to you know, to see, you know, people who just, you know, on not a consistent basis but, you know, just check up on you and stuff like that, you know. But <clears throat> again, you know, like Jasmine said, if anybody, you know, if anybody, you know, on campus or anybody at all, you know, needs somebody to talk to, you know, again, I'm here, you know, along with Cameron, along with, you know, along with Jasmine, you know, even Ezra, you know, so <clears throat> we're all here, you know, I'm always listening here, you know, because this is, it's a topic that I'm not, that, that I'm not, you know, this is a topic that I'm not, you know, joking with, because it's a serious topic and it should be taken seriously because, you know, it's, it's crazy on the amount of suicides that happen throughout the years or a couple of years, you know, you know, like I said, you know, I seen a something, I forgot what website it was, but every 40 seconds, one person commits suicide, mm-hmm. 40 seconds. It's a couple of things you could do in 40 seconds, but commit suicide is wild. Yeah. You know, every 40 seconds, one person, yeah, that's, that's off the charts. That's crazy. Yeah. Like I said, you know, Anybody need a listening ear, I'm always available and stuff like that, so. I would say the best thing also is not only to talk with, like, the little, uh, hey, how are you doing, but also making sure that you're being honest with the people who you care about. Just today, my friends told me, I told them, like, I stress myself out too much, I do all this and that, like, yeah, I noticed. I said, why didn't you say something? 
I was hurting, I've been stressing myself out, doing toxic things to myself, and then you didn't say anything mm. in efforts to help me to stop. They're like, well, I thought you had to learn this by yourself. Nah, I've been doing this since I was young. If I'm ever, if I told them, it's about just over, I love over communicating and making sure that I'm talking to people and not just about um, surface level stuff, deep things. Mm-hmm. Also going to your friends. Like, yeah, I saw my friends at school and everything when I was depressed, but if they had ever like, being like, hey, I'm gonna take this time. I'm gonna go see her. Oh, I'm going to actually go out of my way and just like do pop ups and pop bys. It shows that you care. And sometimes just knowing that someone cares about you when you're going through this is means the world. Because you feel so alone. You can't think of anybody else, especially if you're good at hiding it like I am. Mm. I'm doing all this by my own, suffering by myself. But the minute someone notices something's off about you, it's like, whoa, you paid attention. You yeah. care. Yeah. So, I mean, from, from all that, we learned that, first of all, you know, have friends who are genuine and have true, you know, tendencies about caring about you, um, as well as it's okay to not be okay, but when you're not okay, say something. Speak up, because although you may feel like nobody's listening, I guarantee you someone is. Um, if you guys, before going into, you know, the the lifeline contacts how about you guys share your you know instagrams your social medias and stuff for whoever wants to talk i'll start so on instagram and twitter my at is k-a-m-b-i-n-o three underscores um instagram and twitter i'm pretty sure are the same yeah they are okay so it's underscore underscore musical mind and then also, like I mentioned earlier, um, I am a peer health like mentor. And so I work in Memorial Hall on the second floor. We are opening the Oasis back up for VSU students and yes. I will have more information on that soon. Um, for the people who do go to VSU that don't know what the Oasis is, just a little plug. It is a health and wellness and meditation room where you can come, you can vent, you can rest, you can pretty much for the people who believe in it or whatever, get your aura, your chakras, your spirit back in line with where it needs to be for you to learn and to be healthy and to be happy. And there are a couple other students that work in there. We are there to listen, we're there to help. And if things are more serious or you feel as if you need a little bit more help, you can go to the fourth floor. They do counseling services, which are free to VSU students. There are some grad students that work in there, people that you may know, um, your friends can help you or they do have actual professionals. So whatever you feel is best for you, we have something over there for you. Feel free to stop by. Okay. <laughs> some people probably know, you know, may know who I am now since the walk, but <clears throat> but um, my Instagram, my Twitter is Yerby underscore 52, lowercase, the number 52, that's my jersey number. But um. Yeah, that's that's a good way to reach me, stuff like that. So that was funny. My number was fifty four. Yeah, right guard. <laughs> I go, mean, was... go dragons. Y'all are I feel it. Um, but yeah, so if if you're not a VSU student, uh, I know some contacts that you could probably actually go to, which is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, uh, which is the number is one eight hundred. Two seven three eight two five five one eight hundred two seven three eight two 
Or if you don't feel like calling, you could definitely go to the website for chat, um, online chatting, which is 24-7. And the services are free and confidential, which is suicidepreventionlifeline.org slash chat. So once again, guys, I really thank you for being here and and being brave enough to share your story because I, I pray that millions of people hear your stories and understand that life is really the way to go. Because like you said earlier, like the longer you live, the the longer you see the good. And that's we got class, so we gotta head out. Yeah. <laughs> one more thing, I mean, uh-huh. if you probably notice, you know, one thing I probably noticed um a lot on people who are suicidal, they get a tattoo of a semicolon. Because, mm. you know, a semicolon is supposed to be the end of a sentence, but... It's a continuation. Yeah. That's, wow. <clears throat> that's why... Some people were confused, like, why did they get a tattoo of semicolons? Like, that's what it means, because, you know, they thought it was the end of their life, but... It's it still continues. Long. Yeah, so... The marathon still continues, y'all. That's a little plug right there. But, y'all be blessed. Appreciate it, man. No problem. Thank you. Just remember... It's okay not to be okay. But if you're not, just say something. Somebody's always listening. This is another episode of Real Talk with Ezra. See you soon.